This podcast was recorded before COVID-19 and protests around the death of all Black lives. Just as a reminder, here at It's Personal Podcast, we try to amplify the voices so often hidden in our world. Listen, take notes, and learn. Be nice, be kind, and respect one another. Peace. Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Kwame Mbalia. Uh, I'm an author. Hey, I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Great Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha um, Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like as a new mom. The relationship that I have cultivated from there. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Right. This is so fun back everyone to another episode of it's personal today i have a great friend we've known each other for a while unfortunately have not been able to meet in person but you know what i have a feeling that that is going to happen very very soon um trevor has come to come out of i don't want to say out of nowhere but i think we met online and for whatever reason we've connected um and he's an educator and an awesome dad so um, I'm super to have, super excited to have him here today. Thank you, man. And yeah, likewise, huge fan. Honored to be here. Honored to connect. It's always good chatting with you. And surprised we haven't done this earlier. But um, yeah, so I'm Trevor, Trevor McKenzie. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher in Victoria, BC, Canada. I'm a father of two. I've got two young boys. Gregor is seven and Ewan is 10. A lovely wife, Sarah. And uh, I'm really big into inquiry-based learning. You know, if I had to hang my hat on something in education, it would be inquiry and personalized learning and creating relevant pathways for students and equity in the classroom. And so I do a lot of writing, a lot of sharing and speaking on the topic of, of inquiry. And I do a lot of travel around the world supporting schools and implementing inquiry. And so uh, very honored and, and blessed in that work that it's been well-received and, um, you know, uh, yeah thrilled to be here with you talk about life talk about you know education talk about basketball whatever comes up it's uh mm-hmm. it's good time with you the funny thing is like i think once i finally got to meet you your name had popped up a number of times anyway like just through the work that we were doing in schools um through pd sessions we'd hear about your name or see slides or like books and then all of a sudden we're like talking and i was like what we're, like this is, is this the same person <laughs> So that God. is also like really amazing. And then also knowing that the world is so small and like you knowing people that I know in the educational world, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, it's been really, really cool. Um, yeah. Today, yeah. Trevor, I want to just know like what we know, I know, and I think some people who are listening know um, what you do now um, and the great work that you do um, in regards to inquiry, et cetera. Um, I want to know what did little Trevor look like? Like, what did that look like when, like, if I was a fly on the wall, what would I yeah. see little Trevor doing in his family home today? Yeah, well, little Trevor was, was little, but he was super <laughs> punchy. I was, a, I was a round mound of rebound, like Charles Barkley. I, I wasn't a tall, you know, basketball kid. I was definitely pudgy. And, uh, and I got picked on a lot in elementary school, I tell wow. you. Like, I was, uh, we moved around a lot when I was a kid. You know, uh, you know, we were always picking up and going. I had a 
pretty troubled childhood with my family. Um, and, you know, part of that was moving around a lot, you know, getting away from mistakes that my parents were making, to be quite mm -hmm. honest. And, and so there was never really a, an opportunity for me to settle into the fabric of a school or a community because we were kind of constantly be, being uprooted and moving. And so, you know, I was always the new kid that had no one looking out for him in a school. Um, and, and part of that was I had to figure out, you know, who I was at a very young age, you know, what I wanted from from my schooling, what I, what I thought was fun. You know, if anything, if you were a fly on the wall, you would see me having fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, for, part of that was sport, for sure. You know, whether it was in Canada, it was a lot of street hockey, uh, a mm -hmm. lot of basketball, a lot of just playing catch at the park, getting the football out or getting the baseball bat out, hitting pop flies for friends. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, eventually things settled down. It definitely we found a home and we found a community. But you know, up until I was around 11 or 12, things were pretty turbulent. And uh, I just really sought connection and, and friendship. And uh, it wasn't an easy childhood by any means, but mm -hmm. uh, definitely happy that we finally settled into life uh, and, and found a community for us. Yeah. Can we dig a little deeper into why it was so tough? Um, do you have siblings, Trevor? Yeah, I've got a brother. He's four years older than me. And so mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, on the periphery of my education, right? Like uh, four years is kind of that distance in, in school where, you know, you've got a little brother, but he's kind of a, you know, a, a dweeb. You don't want to hang out with him. And yeah, mm -hmm. that's my older brother, but he's too cool for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, we all, we walked to school together and we would see each other. But, um, you know, there was never that big brother looking out for little brother thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I've got an older brother and, and we moved around a lot. You know, we spent time in Vancouver, BC. We, we spent time in Toronto and then back out to British Columbia. Um, and and I, I, always wanted, uh, I always wanted school. Like I enjoyed going to school. You know, I remember quite fondly, I don't know if this happened to you, but I remember quite fondly, we had like a, a baby duckling in our kindergarten class and each kindergarten mm -hmm. student got to take this little duckling home. And I remember when it was my, my week with the duckling, like I just, it was, I was so honored, right? Like, yay, I get the duckling. And it, I think it was just being uh, a part of something greater than yourself and being, you know, removed from home, you know, and, and coming to school. School is always a safe place. It was a, a place of routine a place of kindness, you know, teachers looking out for you and, and nurturing the conditions for you to be happy and healthy. And, mm -hmm. and you know, the, the kind of constantly moving definitely shook that up and, and starting afresh was really hard. Mm -hmm. And so uh, school is always uh, a place where I felt, you know, I wanted to, to belong. I wanted that, that sense of security and safety, you know. It was always different. So there are two lives. There are lives when, uh, when my dad was around, you know, when he was, you know, uh, parenting and when he was there, you know, we lived kind of like one lifestyle. And mm -hmm. then sometimes my dad would disappear for weeks, months, you know, sometimes he would disappear for a year, quite honestly, mm -hmm. or a couple of years. And it was quite different. You know, uh, it was hard. You know, there wasn't money coming in. We, we were a food bank family. You know, I've got really uh, vivid memories of my mom trying to cook up awesome food and recipes mm. on, uh, you know, a shoestring budget. And, uh, you know, uh, shopping at Value Village for, you know, back to school clothes, right? And so it, it really was uh, uh, a tale of kind of two, two families, you know, a family that was quite unified. And, and, and I was always loved, I got to say, like, there was always love in my family. Uh, and, and I always felt like, you know... Um, I was being taught what, what I should do rather than what I was seeing. You know, I think there's a clear difference there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was definitely a, an existence of kind of two realities, if you will. And, uh, 
and yeah, again, you know, I, I definitely felt supported and loved, but school was much more of a structured space for me, right? A, a space of routine, whereas home was a little bit more turbulent. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of sports, like we said, you know, lots of sports equipment, you know, and there's nothing expensive about a soccer ball, right? Like how cheap mm -hmm. is it for a soccer ball to be kicked around on the street? Mm -hmm. I never played ice hockey because ice hockey was super expensive, but I played street hockey. Why? Because mm -hmm. it was cheap. So I definitely felt uh, ties through sport to friends in the neighborhood. And, and back then, you know, I grew up in the 80s. Like back then, there were so many things you could do in your neighborhood, right? Kick mm -hmm. the can, and tag, capture the flag, and just like, like I said, playing catch in, in the playground. So mm -hmm. I definitely uh, found a lot of, of uh, support through friends that I had. But home was always uh, turbulent and kind of figuring it out, the juggle, right? Figuring mm -hmm. it out, depending on what that family dynamic looked like. And what did like what did your classroom look like when you when you were in school, say elementary or even middle school or high school? What was the demographic? What did your like what do you remember about the classroom? Yeah, it depends on where I lived, right? Like I lived yeah. in Toronto. I lived in uh yeah, pretty pretty diverse neighborhood. Um, you know, I was one of the few white kids in the in the in the classroom for sure. Um, and uh, really diverse, you know, student body. Um, and I remember going to the school and looking around at all these people. And I was like, wow, uh, I, I look different at this school. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, you know, coming back to Vancouver after living in Toronto, you know, living in different communities in Vancouver, same thing, you know, some were really diverse. We spent time in Richmond, we spent time in Surrey, really diverse communities. And then we spent time in some more white neighborhoods, right? So mm -hmm. I always felt like I was, uh, having to figure things out really quick, you know, like, you know, that feeling of walking into a classroom on the first day of school, you know, mm -hmm. as a teacher, let alone as a student, you remember that? Like, mm -hmm. I lived that existence of being the first kid or the new kid, like dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And, uh, and I had to figure it out really fast. You know, how do I adapt? How do I figure out who's going to be on my side and who's not going to be on my side? And, and uh, so, yeah, you know, it, it depends on where we lived. Um, and uh and it depends on on uh the age of course you know but school uh yeah i've i've seen a lot of different classrooms i guess i could say and has your classroom experiences influenced kind of what you do today yeah you know I, well I, it's going to sound so corny so forgive me but gosh empathy and compassion right and and mm. uh really seeing each and every student as a unique individual and really trying to get to know their story and and what 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 is happening at home and and kind of the full picture and it's a robust diverse beautiful picture and and we have many many students and so how do i kind of flatten the playing field so to speak so i can get to know all my kids at a level where i can bring in all those rich threads of their life to their learning so it's meaningful and, and relevant to them so you know, when I was offered my first job, it was uh, it was a hard job. It was a job that very few young teachers wanted to take. It was working with really at-risk students at my first high school that I taught at for about 12 years. And I jumped at the possibility. I jumped at the job. You know, I, I, I was probably one of the only applicants for the position. But, you know, working with those students and creating strong relationship with them and really flipping the curriculum on its head so we entered the curriculum through a lens of personal relevance first right the curriculum was not something we were going to cover or was going to give to the students it was something that we were going to play with we were going to grapple with we were going to tear it apart and reconfigure it through the lens of each student's lives and each student's goals and each student's curiosities and wonders and and i was never 
I never learned through an inquiry model. It should be said, like going through school, I, I never went to an inquiry school. I never experienced inquiry. And then as a practicing kind of pre-service young teacher in university, I was never taught inquiry. And then through those early years as a teacher with those students that I think back so fondly of, I, I didn't have the language of inquiry that I have today, but I think everything, you know, everything I've experienced, and this is that narrative, my narrative, my story, and how it shaped the teacher I am today, absolutely uh, mm -hmm. along the way. And uh, that's why, you know, I, I have, I've got no kind of ill feelings towards, you know, that troubled childhood, or maybe I had a bad teacher in high school. I don't hold that against them. Those are all pieces mm -hmm. that have brought me to this current understanding. Mm -hmm. And I do say current understanding because I hope to be a different teacher, you know, next year than I am this year. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, very, very thankful to have been offered that position early on in my career to work with those kids. I, I worked with kids like that, vulnerable students, if you will, for the first five to seven years of my, of my teaching. And then when I kind of entered, I guess you can say the traditional setting, uh, you know, everything that I, I had been doing with those mm -hmm. students, I wanted to do with all students, you know, not just mm -hmm. our at-risk vulnerable students, not, not just do, do they deserve relevance and relationship, all kids do. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of been my, um, my core belief, if you will, as an educator, is how do I create those meaningful threads of relevance for all of our students? And, and that equitable access is really important to that process, if you will. How does that experience of what you're working on right now influence how you're raising kids? Yeah, that's a huge question. I think I think my, my kids really accelerated my teaching first and foremost. You know, oh, cool. my first son was born, you know, he really uh, refined my lens, if you will. And and I he's a really unique guy. He's just a cool cat. You know, he's so unique and, and uh, his curiosities, his interests are really, really, you know, unique. And, and I just really, you know, vowed, I promised myself that I, I was going to be the teacher he deserves, right? Like, I, I want other teachers to recognize how <clears throat> interesting he is. Mm -hmm. and, and I need to be that teacher for my current students, right? Like, every student that walks into my building and my classroom and, and our space, I want them to recognize that I recognize them and how unique uh, they are. So I love I that. think my, my sons, first of all, really helped refine my lens, but you know, parenting is so responsive. And, and I think I use that word a lot in education with teachers and in inquiry is how, how can we be agile and responsive to what we're seeing before us? You know, what are we noticing? And how can we take really timely and immediate steps from, from those observations? And, and parenting is really just that, you know, I'm really uh, present with my kids and not just present in, in terms of physically, right? Like, you know, playing with them and reading with them and doing crafts with them, but really like just not clouded with other things that are going on in the world. And uh, being present is really important so I can be responsive. And then, it, it, you know, I should mention my, my amazing wife, Sarah, you know, like I, I'm not a single parent. Uh, and so we do things together. We collaborate together. We challenge each other. Um, mm -hmm. We make decisions together. Uh, and we were both parented in very different ways. And so we mm -hmm. have different DNA and context that we bring to this beautiful thing that is parenting and family. And, uh, and I, I believe the same thing should be happening in the classroom. You know, if we can't co-teach, who is our partner in, in all of this? And, and who are we soundboarding with? Who are we challenged by? And it's a beautiful time to be an educator, isn't it? Like here you and I are covering vast landscapes, talking shop. And, uh, you know, for us to be able to find someone to go through this journey with and, and chat with and scratch 
at our practice with, I think it's really fantastic. So I think, yeah, my children definitely shaped who I am as a teacher. Uh, and and I, I speak a lot about being responsive and agile. And no matter what my intentions are for a lesson or for my class, things happen in the moment that we are going to build on and we're going to grapple with and we're going to kind of reshape and reconfigure. And that's the beauty. Like that's the artistry of what we do, isn't it? It's, mm -hmm. it's not a recipe that's laid out. It's like, let's get in this and get dirty and figure mm -hmm. it out together. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's parenting in a nutshell. Yeah. That's so cool. I love how you said that both of you, both you and your wife come from different backgrounds and very different experiences, but you are finding out ways to kind of blend that together. And the product of that is going to be your boys, which is sounding like they're in this family where it's very much like, I'm not going to give you the answers. I'm going to help guide you. I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to look, focus on that growth. And that's how we're going to get to whatever that end goal is um, to continuing that process of what it is to be like a better human being. Personal, 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 personal. How, how did you and your wife meet? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I was playing basketball at a college uh, where I grew up eventually. You know, we settled down as a young teenager and, and I got a scholarship to a college there. And, and uh, my second year into that scholarship, I, I traveled down to Victoria uh, to visit some friends who were going to University of Victoria. And I just fell in love with Victoria. It's a beautiful city, folks. If you ever have a chance to come, I'll, I'll host you. I'll take you for a hike or a coffee mm -hmm. or, or a dinner. It's a, it's a fantastic spot. And I just fell in love with the city. And, and to be honest, I, I made a kind of a commitment at the time I was reading a book for an English class. And I remember writing in the book, a contract to myself that <laughs> I'm going to meet Victoria one day. And I, to be honest, I, I went back to my college and uh, I quit the team just so I could work on my academics and get my grades up so I could transfer to UVic. And it worked out. Thank goodness. You know, it's amazing when you put yourself all into a commitment right and uh and then I came down to UVic the subsequent year and within the first couple of weeks uh a friend of mine I was training in the gym uh and a friend of mine said I need to introduce you to this girl over here on this spin bike she I think you guys would get along and uh that was my wife I didn't know it at the time wow. and uh he introduced us and then for about three years uh Sarah and I just became really really good friends we hung out a lot and then uh, there was always a thread of deep, deep connection between the two of us. But I think, you know, those three years where we were friendly uh, really shaped the foundation to our marriage and, and helped us figure each other out before we ever shared our feelings for each other. And then I, I called her out one day. This, you know, I don't share this story publicly, but <laughs> I just I let her know. I said, I think we should date. I think we got some chemistry. And she gave me that like, oh, no, we don't. No, we don't kind of look. And I said, listen, like, I just want to give you a kiss. And, and if there's a spark, then we know we're on to something. And if there's not, needless to say, there was a spark and we haven't, we haven't looked back. And uh, it's been uh, almost 20 years now, uh, 18 years of being in each other's lives. Wow. And, uh, you know, eventually we got engaged. And we lived abroad, Gary, for a year. We were in Korea for a year, South Korea. And I think, you know, living abroad really tested us in terms of, uh, you know, being, being alone, isolated away from our loved ones and our friends mm -hmm. and really helped shape again uh, the family uh, and the beliefs that we have today. Yeah. Wow. Do your boys know that story? They do. They do. Yeah. No, they, they yeah. We, we talk about when mom and dad fell in love and our first <laughs> date. And, oh yeah. We do that all the time. And they roll their eyes as boys would. Right. But, oh, but you know, so I, good. You know, there briefly, you know, I, I think back to a mentor of mine and, and, uh, 
he, he spoke to me beautifully about the power of just having faith, right? Like optimism is what we're talking about. And, and we coached together. He was, you know, it was my first couple of years coaching a high school basketball team. And, and he was the senior statesman. He was a couple of years out of retirement or going into retirement. And he was my assistant coach. It was the oddest thing. Like I was 27 years old and I've got this guy who's 57 years old. And he's my assistant, but he was my assistant, to be honest, because he really wanted to mentor me and wanted to help. And, uh, and you know, one day at practice, he, he spoke about the power of faith. And, you know, we sat the, the, the gentleman we were working with down, all the boys down, senior boys basketball team. And, and he spoke to us all about, you know, before we can trust each other, before we can actually do amazing things, we've got to have some blind faith and committed faith that we're just going to take some steps in a common direction. And we don't know if it's going to turn out. We don't know if it's going to, you know, work out in the way that we hope it will. But without taking that first step of hope and faith, we won't get to the beautiful place of trust. And, and this is a process. And if we can all start taking steps in this process together, maybe by the end of the season, we'll be able to accomplish this, this common goal that we all have. And, and I've, I've, I never forgot that. You know, he wrote it down, actually, and gifted it to all of the players at the end of the year. And I never forgot that because really in our work with teachers and, and talking to you, just as we are here, like those first kind of seeds of hope and faith you know, and, and how do we nurture those in the classroom with students so that they see it learning and our time together uh, together as a process. And it's not mm -hmm. something that's going to be dictated or clearly mapped out per se, mm -hmm. but we're going to get there together. And, uh, and if we take those common steps together, we can do some really, really amazing things together. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're talking about there is building relationship, right? Like mm -hmm. building community, getting to know your kids and getting to know your students so that you can take those common steps of faith together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we often forget about the understanding of how much growth is important and how we reflect on that growth because that is where the work is happening, where the learning is happening when you're reflecting and you're focusing yeah. on growing. Yeah. Um, you know, so many questions I'm fielding from teachers around the world right now, you know, as, as we grapple with this remote learning during this global pandemic, uh, this time of crisis for many of our learners, Many questions I'm, I'm fielding right now are around assessment. You know, what does assessment look like? And, and do I do a ton of formative and a little bit of summative? Do I just give them the summative right away and have them do it at their own pace, at their mm. own time? And, and my, my response right away is, I, I don't know. Like, mm. I, we're going to see how this goes in the coming weeks and months, and we're going to mm -hmm. figure it out together. So mm -hmm. I, I don't have the answers. But then secondly, like, well, why don't we start at a place of reflection and, and self-assessment? thinking about themselves as learners and as people and, and giving them those broad reflection prompts and starting from that space. And I think that, that data, if you will, like all that rich amazingness, that sauce we're going to get from our kids, we can report out on that. We can use that as an assessment tool to share with parents or share with our schools. It doesn't have to be the traditional formative summative you know, big balls of yarn. And, and in the inquiry classroom, I, you know, this isn't, you know, patting myself on the back, you know, in the inquiry classroom, those are hallmarks of assessment, you know, self-assessment and reflection. You know, we come back to those repeatedly. So in my experience with the schools that I've worked with and the kids that I'm working with, to start in a, in a place of reflection and self-assessment, they're like, oh, it's so relieving. It's like that warm blanket. They're like, oh, I do this all the time. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so assessment's a hot conversation piece right now. And, and I just, I really, really beg teachers to consider, start with the kids, start with the students, getting them to reflect and self-assess and, and start mm -hmm. from there to get to know 
what we can do next to better support them in this time of crisis, right? You took the words like out of my mouth. Like I, I literally talked to someone else the other day about assessment as well. And the first thing I, I thought of was like self-assessment and reflection. Like I always think about, I, I can't remember who said it and I might've seen it online, but I always ask myself this. It's like, if I was in that kid's position right now, would I want a summative test? Would I want to be given a test, taken on a computer, with X amount of time where I have to finish it. Like, would I feel comfortable doing that? And the yeah. odds are most people would say no. So why yeah. put kids in those positions to do so? And yeah. I think it goes across the board, whether it's elementary, middle school, and high school. Like I get that high school is in a weird situation where they are trying to go to college, university, et cetera. But we're in a pandemic, like things need to change. That process of getting to university, that process of, an application like it needs to be looked at differently because of the situation that we're in like they can't have yeah. the same expectations for something where the learning is different like it just doesn't doesn't make sense and i think i've seen these shifts you know in the last 10 years especially as we talk about higher ed right and and what does acceptance and missions look like i've seen changes they're, they're glacially slow changes but i see changes and i think you know if we're going to reimagine what that process can look like if anything's going to help accelerate that reimagining, it's going to be a global pandemic. And, and there, there is going to be a lot of really positive things that come out of the hardships that we're enduring right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think of parents right now at home. You know, my heart is with kids and then my heart is with parents struggling if they're given a summative test that you're referring to. Like a teacher said, OK, well, here's the rest of the year in, in, in this package. You know, go do it. Like parents are having to work from home. Parents are worried about where the bills are going to, how they're going to be paid, you know, how do they manage their work life online, plus the learning that the students are doing online. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been so fortunate here in, in our school district to just receive such warm, comforting guidance from our district leadership and from my son's teachers. And, and they're asking us really broad questions. Like they're surveying us, first of all, things like, do you have technology at home? And if you do, do you have Wi-Fi? And, and do you, how many devices do you have? And, and how often do you want your son or daughter on a device for? How many hours is optimal? Or is it not mm -hmm. optimal at all? Do you have mm -hmm. access to a yard? Can you get outside? And so all those pieces in, in the survey allow the teachers to understand how they can better meet the needs of the families and the kids. Mm -hmm. And then I just love these broad statements, questions that we're receiving from the leadership and from the teachers, you know, what are you curious about right now? What are you reading at home that you're really enjoying? And can you tell me about that? And just starting from that space of equity first, rather than, hey, here's the book we're all going to read, go find it. Like in a global pandemic, how inequitable is work. that? But are there books at home? Do kids mm -hmm. have books on their shelves? And if they don't, then that lets me know I need to provide something. And whether that's providing the digital format, an audio book, I've seen some amazing things being done uh, in rural, rural areas in the world. I'm thinking of Northern Australia where families don't have Wi-Fi and these teachers are sending out via mail little curiosity packs tailored to each individual student. And the, the tender loving care that is a part of shaping that package, it's, it's just so personalized, right? And so mm -hmm. again, it goes back to being responsive, doesn't it? You know, mm -hmm. really getting to know our kids and the parents and what is happening at home and how can we plan from those means first, rather than coming in with all these ideas of what we hope to get done. Let's mm -hmm. see what the landscape's like at home and, and plan from there to really support parents so they're not feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. and, and not having that overwhelming feeling drip mm -hmm. onto the 
emotions, right? Because they're anxious enough throughout they this are, crisis. They are, and I think we need to say it often to not know. It's okay to take a break. It's okay that yeah. kids are unsure, um, that you can't help them today with this lesson, or they need the reassurance that things are going to be fine. Um, totally. And they're not, I don't think they're hearing it right now. Um, because of the different ways that everyone's doing it. Um, and on top of that, like you said, parents are dealing with so much. Mm -hmm. you know, I've, been say I've been saying for years, I, I wish schools would make empathy and compassion like learning objectives, right? Like let let's nurture that and, and teach to that and create conditions where that is being fostered. And, and I think those are going to be the tools that, that help students get through this time of crisis, starting mm -hmm. from a place of empathy and, and compassion. And personal, personal, personal. And those those questions that you're asking, you, you know, just modeling there, you know, how are you doing? How's home? How are you feeling? And and giving them those reassurance, I'm here for you. I've got your back. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, the tools that we have to master right now, such as Zoom. You know, we're hosting this pod on, on Zoom right now, whether it's Google Classroom or Google Hangouts. Those are important. Those are allowing us some pathways to students, not all pathways, but some. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I think empathy and compassion are the the tools that are going to allow us to reimagine what learning could look like when we get back into a brick and mortar setting, right? And, mm -hmm. and if we all come back with more empathy and compassion for our kids, you know, and, and so when the, when the bell goes, it is a game changer, right? When the bell goes, we're, we're, we're excited to see them. Like I've seen so many teachers say, as soon as these social restrictions are lifted, the first thing I'm going to do is give my students a big hug. Like how cool is that? That sentiment of just like, I care about them and I miss them and I want them to know I miss them. And, and that energy is gonna help our kids get through this. And so I, I'm hoping that that's, uh, you know, one of the outcomes of all this is that we all come back with a bigger heart for our craft and for our practice with our students. And we begin to reimagine how we spend time with them uh, starting from a place of empathy and compassion, right? Personal, 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 personal. Trevor, what, um, I have two more questions. Um, what is, uh, and it's, I guess I hate to ask this question with the situation that we're in right now, but what is next for you? What are you, what are you working on? Um, and where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, you know, I've got a couple of really timely projects right now. I'm working with a couple of inquiry colleagues uh, to do a webinar that we're hosting uh, quite soon. And that will be out. You'll find that at my website, trevormckenzie.com. Um, and then I'm constantly writing, researching. So uh, it's been nice to have some time at home to do that. And, and obviously with these travel restrictions uh, and doing much more online work, supporting schools around the world rather than going and visiting them. So um, yeah, you know, the writing and the webinars, look out for those. And uh, trevormckenzie.com, that's kind of my online hub. Really active on Twitter and Instagram, but you can find me through trevormckenzie.com. Awesome. And I would vouch for Trevor as well, not only because we're like boys, but <laughs> Trevor is like a great guy. He's often sharing a lot of like he obviously has great content in regards to the books that he's written um and his website but he's often just sharing free stuff on his social media channels where you can just take it right away and use it in your classroom whether it's a thought or a question or a pdf whatever it is so um i would vouch for him as well as much as possible check him out um see all the good work that he's doing uh trevor i appreciate you so much man i really do i appreciate you too i really I do really thank you for having me